when I can find it. There it is. <laughs> the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what, that what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And when he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Which is Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 9, um, and it can be found on page 1037 in the Church Bible. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts may be now and always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen.
what a wonderful time of year harvest is. Um, I remember well spending seven years ministering in rural village churches, and there was considerable competition between the nine churches as to whose was the best harvest layout. Some of them were quite tremendous. But it's a beautiful time of year. Okay, yesterday wasn't very nice, was it? But today, if you drive out into the countryside uh, after the service, not now, um, you will see the wonders of God's creation, <coughs> especially as you get further away from uh, Portsmouth City Centre. One of the things that Wendy and I noticed when we went up the shard uh, on the gift of our children about uh, six months ago, at the beginning of the summer, looking down on London, there were huge areas of green. When you go up onto Portsdown Hill, the same is true of Portsmouth. You look down and across, there are large areas of green. I spent uh, three or four days in Seoul, South Korea, and my family of hosts who put me up, put me on the 23rd floor, I think it was, of a hotel building. And I looked down, and there was concrete, 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 everywhere. No sign of God's creation at all. Only the sign as the result of man's devastation of the Korean War, leaving behind nothing but new buildings. But God has blessed the countryside ever since he made the promise to Noah, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. But God's blessings go back further than that, as was read to us from the second chapter of Genesis. And amazingly, man drew, God drew man in his own image and blessed him and then drew him in to his act of creation. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What a mess our generation has been making of that. And in chapter 2 again, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Thus the Lord God gave the man responsibility to subdue the earth, to produce food from the earth, to farm it. What a fantastic job for man. Think of it, you who love gardening. No weeds. No thorns and thistles. You didn't have to go out with a watering hose or a bucket or anything like that to water the garden because we read that God created streams that came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. What a fabulous job Adam had. Doesn't compare with our gardening whatsoever. Sadly, sin came in and damaged the relationship between man and God. And we read that God drove the man out of the garden. Cursed is the ground because of you, God said. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and, God said, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. St. Jude's Church is entering on a year of outreach, a year of mission. And I quote from a leaflet that Neil Smart has been handing around to many, many people. St. Jude South Sea is embarking on a year of mission. The aim of this year is to take the good news of Jesus out into this area and to see people come to know Jesus in a new and transforming way. We shall hear a lot more about this as the days go on, and especially next Sunday when Andrew Hargreaves, who's on the staff of the diocese, comes from the diocesan HQ to help us launch the year ahead of us. So what for you and me? In the earlier verses of Luke 8, Jesus has been teaching a large crowd about a farmer who went out to sow his seed. The disciples came to Jesus afterwards, and when he had finished, and asked what it meant. And here we have the only parable to which Jesus gave his own interpretation of his own stories. For you and me, God the Holy Spirit is the farmer. But in this, and in so many of Jesus' parables, the whole point is that he is trying to get across that we have responsibility under God's authority to act as local farmers. God wants you and me to be involved. All the way through the New Testament, this is the message. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. When Jesus' family turn up to see Jesus, he is told, and he responds, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's the sort of relationship that the Lord our God is looking for in you and me. For the whole of his time with them, both in public and when the twelve were with him alone, Jesus was leading them to become those who shared the good news of the kingdom with other people around them. So St. Jude's Fellowship is just starting on a period of learning to understand the task ahead of us. That's from now until Christmas. Then, from early January, God willing, to Easter, there will be practical training for everyone, and after Easter, we shall embark on the mission to bring the good news of the kingdom of God to our friends and neighbors so that they can be, and again, I quote Neil Smart's words, rescued and restored to the love of Jesus. What a responsibility we have. This pattern actually follows pretty closely the way that Jesus worked. He taught constantly, he trained, and then he sent them out to preach and to heal. And they were still very green when Jesus sent them out. 
First it was the twelve, as told in Luke chapter 9, the one after, the one that was read to us this morning. Then 72 others, Luke tells us, as he describes in the subsequent chapter, from which passage Andrew Hargreaves will be coming to preach to us, God willing, next Sunday. Back to Jesus' interpretation of his parable. The seed is the Word of God, the Bible. Every service of worship at St. Jude's is centered around the Bible. We have one beside each chair and we see the words put up on the screens in front of us. When I went as a curate in charge of a little daughter church in Worthing called Emmanuel, we had two different services. One was 1662 for those who'd been properly brung up in the Church of England and the other one was a rather chaotic family service that followed and never the twain shall meet apart from when old people got knocked over when the youngsters were running out. Until we changed under the vicar's request to one service which was for the whole family. Two godly old ladies said, John, we'd like to give 60 Bibles to the church. We had approximately 110 seats, and there were usually about 90 there in this little church every Sunday morning. And I said, that would be wonderful. They came, and those Bibles made a huge difference as every time the Bible was read, people were opening their Bibles. I think it's great that we have them in front of us, but I very often wish we did not, so that all of us would get to the habit of opening our Bibles and looking at the words and then go home and look them up again. It is one of the possible deficits to putting them up on the screen, but none of us can say we haven't seen or heard the Word of God when we come to St. Jude's to worship. One month into that gift of those 60 Bibles, I went to the two ladies and I said, uh, <clears throat> I wonder if you'd be willing to give us another 20. And we had then nearly one for every person in the church. And it was lovely to hear the rustle of pages, but also it changed our worship. Our worship, which had been a little bit sort of, you know, down the line, suddenly became an outpouring of people's hearts. The Word of God does that. For the whole of his time with them, Jesus taught them in public and in private. At services of baptism, in this church, from this point here, Bibles are given to the parents of the child concerned with a plea to each family to read the scriptures with the child at home. Okay, for the first six, eight, nine years of his or her life, he won't understand it. Then slowly, that which has been bred in subconsciously, if taken by the Holy Spirit, will bear fruit in that child, and he and she or she will come to know Christ as Savior. 
At confirmation services, a copy of the Bible is once again paramount. At ordination services, a copy of the Scriptures is given to each ordinand. At Jeanette's funeral, here this last week, the bishop who was here preached from four passages of John's Gospel as chosen by Steve and the family. So for that person who wasn't really in the coffin but was already with the Lord as we were reminded several times during the service, the Word of God had been and now was intensely practical. What a testimony from that family at a time of serious, serious sadness. So in every part of Christian life and church ministry, it's the Word of God that is of paramount importance. If we go out into the streets or the shops or our neighbors and talk to them about what I am, what I do, it's a waste of time. I remember years ago someone saying, you know, it's dead easy to talk to someone about the services in church. It's dead easy to talk about the vicar. It's dead easy to talk about anything to do with religion. But you start to mention the Lord Jesus Christ, and it gets difficult. Do you know why? Because you're working against God's arch enemy. But oh, how that pleases God when you and I are willing to stand up and be counted for him. One of the greatest evangelists of my lifetime, Billy Graham, used to have a phrase, the Bible says, I can't do it in American accent, sorry. But Billy Graham planted his whole Christian faith, his whole teaching and preaching in the Word of God. What about you and me? This year of mission is not Mike Duff's year. It's not Neil Smart's or Adam's. In fact, it's not a year especially for the clergy or the PCC or the church wardens. It is for all of us. It's for you and me. I wonder if you've ever heard the poem, Christ has no hands but our hands. During the Second World War, it is told that a church in Strasbourg was badly bombed by the Royal Air Force and the church was destroyed Nothing remained except a heat of rubble and broken glass, or so the people thought, till they began clearing away the masonry. Then they found a statue of Christ, still standing erect. In spite of all the bombing, it was all but unharmed, except both hands were missing. Eventually, the rebuilding of the church began, and one day a sculptor, a professional man, saw the figure of Christ and offered to carve a pair of new hands. 
the church met together and discussed it, and they said, no, thank you. Because the members of the church said, our broken statue touches the spirits of men, but that he has no hands to minister to the needy or feed the hungry or enrich the poor, except our hands. He inspires, we perform. And Annie Flint wrote these words, which I found in my dad's Bible not very long after he died. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. <clears throat> he has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no tongue but our tongues to tell men how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in word and deed. What if the type be crooked? What if the print be blurred? What if our hands are busy with work that is not his? What if our feet are walking where sin's attraction is? What if our tongues are speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him and hasten his return? Each one of us has a bunch of friends, most of whom are unknown to the rest of us here. You don't know Peter Pierce, my next door neighbor. He's coming to lunch with us today. To what extent do I share Jesus with Peter? Wendy and I have had a little verse infuriating our minds. Let men see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Oh, I think the people in Charminster where we live may see our good works, but at what extent are they worshiping God in heaven? So may you and I be the hands of Jesus in this coming year, next Sunday, next Sunday. Listen to what Andrew Hargreaves has to teach us. I haven't a clue what he's going to say. But at that time, privately, silently, offer your hands for God to use in this coming year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonder of harvest. And we thank you that you shared a mission of harvest with Adam. Lord, we have made a mess of it. Forgive us, please, we pray. And grant that this year of mission may not be our mission, but yours lived out and worked out through each one of us. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.